Dan, what was your uh, GPA at Her- William Henry Harrison High School? I don't mean to put you on the spot. 2.7. I had a... Uh, no, we're not going there. We're just going to... We're trying to find a common ground here, okay? So, uh, you beat me. I had a whopping 2.3 GPA at the end of my freshman year. So, so like when you look up here, don't think too highly, okay? <laughs> we can get to know Jesus without getting to know stuff in a classroom. That's the good word. So, that is a good word. I brought my brain today because it was always necessary, but uh, one of the thoughts I wanted to throw out to you today is that ideas are powerful. could be the most powerful thing on the planet, our ideas besides our God, and, and when ideas are tossed our way, we have a couple things we can do. We can react to those, or we can respond to those. And the idea of knowing God allows us to respond to ideas when we don't know who he is, a lot of times we get emotional and react to things. Make sense? Reactions generally don't turn out so well. The best example that I could think of was uh, a sports one. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> I can bring some other kind of analogy besides sports. But I had had a little level of success in sports when I was a kid. But when I got to high school, I was trying out for the baseball team. And in I don't even remember what they, what speed the ball was going when I was in high school, but I was trying out as a freshman, and the coach, to, t- to kind of wean out the freshman, brought the seniors to pitch to the freshman. And that may not seem like a big deal, but th- there's an idea that I didn't know uh, as a freshman, and I stepped into the batter's box, which is a rectangle for which you're supposed to stay in there. If you bail out of that, it can caused you to be out and so I stepped into the plate had a little plastic helmet on and uh, the guy throws a first pitch and it's a fastball it was probably going I don't know maybe 80 85 miles an hour which just to put that in perspective if your car was going 85 miles an hour it was this size and it like hits you it would leave a mark right like so that's like David and Goliath type stuff maybe at a little slower speed but so, so I was used to maybe a little slower pace, but I was in the box and able to at least see it coming in for a little while. Whether I could get the bat around in time or not wasn't really the big deal. It was just being able to stand in the box and watch these things coming. The idea that I hadn't seen before that day was a high school curveball. And what a curveball is is that, that the pitcher has to twist his hand and release the ball at a certain level it, it, he kind of snaps it out of his hand and, and it does this thing where the seams spin and then it just turns the ball turns and what the high school pitchers did back in that day was they would throw the curveball at your head <laughs> and so I had not seen one of these and so this curveball was coming at my head and guess what I did I didn't duck. I almost fell. I fell out of the batter's box, and all of a sudden I heard the umpire say strike. And I got up. I'm like, how did that happen? And it was one of the more humiliating things 
of my lifetime because I was about the same height and about 100 pounds lighter, if that gives you a picture of what I look like. And this like stick is bailing out of the batter's box. And so the idea of a curveball caused me to react rather than to respond. As the days went by, I learned to respond to a curveball. And ideally, they're a little easier sometimes to hit than a fastball because they're going a little bit slower. And so if you're slow reflexes, you can hit it if you know what's coming at your head. I didn't at that time. So today I might challenge you with some ideas. If I throw them out there and they feel like a fastball or a curve at your head, um, just give me a little room. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. But I'll throw some ideas out to you to consider. And um, let's just see where they go. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is an area of life where I think a lot of people really are challenged and so that's why I wanted to cover this. And let me just, before we get into chapter 10, I'll just throw an idea out there to challenge you a little bit, if you're okay with that. If you look in, i got to switch to my readers here. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, before we jump into 10, verse 7 says, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I would suggest that the idea of that, the curveball that you might not have ever heard before, is that the tithe, 10% of your earnings, is not the standard for which God wants you to give money. He wants you to give from a cheerful heart. It's a completely different thing. And, and so that isn't even part of what I wanted to talk about, but I just saw that as just a, an idea of an idea that you might have to think differently about. But the idea of the tithe has been taught to a lot of us, but I think the way we've been taught, you're not going to find it in the scriptures. You're going to find that the Lord loves a joyful giver, and that's a completely different thing. So let's jump into verses 1 and 2. It says, uh, Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek, when face to face with you, but bold together when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Here's another idea just to throw out there to you. What do you who do you guys think wrote Second Corinthians? Say, say it in unison. Okay, flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, and then, and then answer me. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul, Paul and Timothy. See that there? Paul and Timothy. It's one of those ideas that we always think that we had right, but maybe we didn't quite have it right. And it's kind of important... In chapter 10, verse 1, because otherwise, if you're reading verse 1 in chapter 10, Paul seems a little uh, out of touch with reality. Like, who's writing you a letter that says, now I, and then you state your name? Does that make sense? <laughs> He's differentiating. He's, the, the verses before this, it says we or us or things like that, but now he's specifically saying, these are my words. I, Paul, wrote this. 
Okay, not a major point, just an idea that sometimes the things that we think we know, we may not really know, and so it's good to keep our mind open to different ideas from time to time. So Paul gets to the end of that verse 2, and he says that some people regard him as though he, we, not he, we walked according to the flesh. So those who are with Paul, there's this group of people that perceive that that group that was with Paul walked according to the flesh. That is a word, flesh, that took me a while to get my brains around it. The, the word flesh can have two separate meanings. One would be this thing you're looking at here, or the 100-pound lighter version they might have looked at some 30 or 40 years ago. That's your body, your flesh. So t- sometimes in the scripture it's talking about your physical body. And then other times when you hear the word flesh, it's talking about this thing that is going on in your brain that is habitual these habitual ideas to get through life that are stored in your brain and so the idea of walking by those habitual habits or ideas can sometimes distract you from being able to walk by what God's spirit has in store for you and just a refresher when you were physically born you were born in the bible calls in Adam you were dead to God unable to do anything of glory to God the moment you were reborn you were born in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, is all through the New Testament. And you became a new creature. From the inside out, you're a new creation. Your body still has some some challenges. It's going to get redeemed one day, and that redemption is going to include our brain. One day, we're going to get a new brain, different from the one that we have, that has all the junk that's stored in there from all the things that we may have done over the years. But what these this group of people in chapter 2 were doing, they were accusing Paul and his cronies of being selfish when they said that they're walking according to the flesh because that's what walking according to the flesh means. It's all about Keith, all about me, whereas walking according to the Spirit is all about you. It's about those others in our lives. And so they're just saying, Paul, you're selfish. And you know what he was considered selfish about? He was telling the saints, the followers and believers of Jesus Christ, that they didn't have to follow rules anymore. Did you know that? That's what he said, that you're not under the law. You're not under rules. You have the Spirit living in you. And those people who didn't like that message said, Paul, you're selfish teaching the people that. It's a great paradox. It's unbelievable that that's what happened, but that's what went on. And so in verse 3, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And, and there's two separate definitions of the word flesh there. We walk in this body for however long we have this body that we can walk in it. But there'll be a day when we won't walk in this anymore. But it says we do not war, we don't battle according to these ideas that are stored in our head. We battle according to spiritual principles, which if we don't know what those ideas are, if we don't know what the spiritual principles are, then we're kind of stuck with battling the way everybody else does, right? With these ideas that are in our head that aren't necessarily based from Scripture. I'm just going to do this as a refresher. I know Rusty talks about it from time to time, but just to refresh some of the principles that uh, we espouse here, that we believe that we're a three-part being, one part being your body, this thing that has, according to the Bible, 70 to 80 years on this planet. Second part is your spirit, which is your connectedness to God or not. When you were in Adam, you weren't connected to God. 
when you're in Christ, you're connected to God. That's your connectedness, plugged in. And then your soul, which is your unique personality. A unique personality would include your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so those things are critical to know as you're going to war according to the flesh because the emotions can sometimes lead us in places we might not want to go. And so um, the, the, the ultimate battle that we have every day when we're going about our life and somebody throws a ball at me or something is that we have this unredeemed body with an unredeemed brain and we have a perfect soul and spirit that's trying to express in this unredeemed body who I really am on the inside. That's the battle of life because often I won't get it right. My body will express something that's not true about who I am and you'll like, that Keith is a jerk because he did X, Y, Z. Well, that's not true. I just didn't get the whole expression out from the inside to who I really am. And so when he says you're not... A, uh, you're not warring according to the flesh. When you war according to the flesh, you're going to act like who you're not really, if that makes sense. So then he goes on to verse 5, and it says, it says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Um, when, you're, when you're ready to go to battle with this, when you're ready to, to take every thought captive, uh, it's an idea that in Galatians like five nineteen through 20, it gives you an expression there of what the, the deeds of the flesh look like. And let me just read these to you because they're, they're kind of... They're kind of straightforward. If you find yourself acting like any of these descriptions here, you can be assured you're not walking accord, according to the Spirit, okay? And, and we all do some of these, I'm sure. It's in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. I don't need to tell you when you're walking by the flesh, okay? I can if you'd like for me to, but I don't really enjoy that. But it says they're evident. They're obvious. And he says uh, there's immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities. We're causing fights. That's what an enmity is. Strife, same kind of thing. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. That's a whole list of things of what the deeds of the flesh look like. And so um, if I'm doing those, I'm just, just evident I'm not walking by the Spirit. There's no... <laughs> There's nothing else I can say. It's just I am clearly not walking by the Spirit if I do those. But then he goes on after that, and he says, it can be evident what it looks like when you are walking by the Spirit, because when I'm walking by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, so it's very clear when I'm warring one way over the other. If I feel like i got to get you in a headlock to beat you into submission over something, it's clearly the, not the Spirit of God because the Spirit works from the inside out, right? And he doesn't work from the outside in. And so uh, when we get to that, that place where he says that we're taking every thought captive, have you ever thought about that? How do you take every thought captive? <laughs> it means that we have to be very intentional 
about what's going into our head, don't you think? If we're taking every thought captive. A lot of things go into our head. And one of the things I didn't understand uh, when I was younger is I don't create all the thoughts that are in my head. Did you all know that? Like, if there's a thought in my head that's more like those deeds of the flesh, that wasn't created by Keith Tyner because I'm a new creation. I don't have the wherewithal to create that. And so there's this thing in our physical body that we call sin, or it's in that Roman study that Dan was talking about, the, that refers to it as the power of sin. It's like a false Holy Spirit that puts thoughts into our head that are contrary to God. So that's one source of thoughts we have. Then we have memories that are stored in our brain, and those memories happen to have emotions attached to them, right? Like when I told you that story about me falling on the ground with that curveball coming at my head, there was a lot of emotion in that moment. Even when I'm telling you the story, I can remember what it felt like to think I was going to get hit in the head with a, a curveball. And so whatever we get involved in and we store in our brain, it, that memory has attached to it an emotion, and that emotion can get us to go by the flesh. Make sense? And then the third and most powerful source of thoughts is in, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says in the present tense, we have the mind of Christ. Present tense, we have the, the source of righteous and godly thoughts is now part of our spirit, it's part of our being. And my natural inclination, the way that I walk about life, is to walk by that, to walk by what the Spirit's telling me. And so... I have the great privilege to show you all my brain. I told you it could get a 2.36 GPA at William Henry Harrison High School, but right here I'm going to open it and disclose it to you all. I've got to separate it a little bit here, but this is my brain. Any of you old enough to remember that uh, commercial, This Is Your Brain? Those that are young, you don't need to know. We'll tell you another day. Um. So, I pulled this out years ago. This is your brain. It could be my brain or your brain right here. Um, and, and, and the brain has um, um, different things banging around in there. You ever feel like that with your brain, that there's things banging around? Well, because we were born in Adam, we had two different ideas that came into our head. And they both have smiley faces on them at some point in time. Can you, I don't know, you, get, you that can't see me, you can't see, but I got these little super balls with smiley faces. And this is how most of us are hardwired with these two super balls. Because we were trained from the time we were knee higher, even before that, even from birth. Because what God told Adam in the garden was, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's good, and here's evil. When you do evil, it has a little smiley face on it. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. There's something appealing about it, right? And this is good. It's smiling. Like, Keith, get a higher GPA. Can't you get a 4.0 GPA? Which really has nothing to do with anything, right? <laughs> but it seemed good at the time to do that. And when I was doing the things that put these memories in my head, they seemed good at the time, too. But both of these were, they started as an idea, right? And then the more you do that idea, they become what we call a habit and they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and become a way that we operate which is what i said earlier when we operate out of those habits whether they're red or green that's walking by the flesh or or just expressing fleshly behavior and the hard part for most of us to understand because we think 
we think that good things are really what God wants. Did you know he doesn't want good things? Because that's the whole reason he had to send Jesus, because of good. It's kind of crazy to think that, but this is one of those ideas I just want to throw out to you. What he wants is you to have this original idea where you become born in Christ, and this is a blue marble, where at some point in time, this blue marble became part of me, that I became a believer, a follower, and I walk by faith. And now I've got a faith memory in there. And then all of a sudden, as I start living by faith, I start getting these habits that are faith-oriented, that they're blue habits rather than green or red. And then they begin making space in my brain. And so ideally where we'd like to be is we'd like to have big habits of walking by faith. That as we walk by faith, it just becomes more and more natural to us rather than trying to do what's good or what's bad. Because that, that when the Bible talks about that things are going to be tested by fire, what I would suggest to you, anything that is stored in green or red is going to be dusted when the fire comes across. But whatever's of blue and we walk by faith, it's going to be a big deal. That's what's going to handle the test. And walking by faith looks so much different than a lot of us were taught. So instead of giving money because it's a tithe, like a lot of us were taught, because that was good, we have to live by faith and see what's stirred inside of us to give and to who to give it to, right? That's faith. It's a big deal. And so we all have a brain. Those of us that are in Christ have some blue in there. Those of us who have never trusted that Christ is Messiah, it's just green and red. That's what's going on in there. We've got habits and and they, they just cause us to express this body a certain way. But the more that we can express this body by faith, the more interesting life is going to become, the more adventuresome it's going to be. That's hard. Like, my poor wife, Connie, is a rock star. <laughs> but I have taken her through such random things by walking by faith that she never knows Whenever I tell her I've been thinking, she just gets really anxious because you never know what's going to happen next. But, but that's where God is. He's an adventuresome God. He's not a God that's constrained by rules, right? It's crazy to think that he would be a God that's constrained by rules. He's so big that we can't even comprehend who he is, and he wants us to trust him as we go into the unknown. Because everything's unknown. We don't know what's going to happen after this right here, right? He just wants us to walk out the door and go, okay, where's this thing going? I trust you. And he's going to say, okay, here's where you ought to go for lunch today. Here's what you ought to do tomorrow. Um, just a whole variety of those kind of things that look a lot differently than what we might have been taught years ago. So we have uh, habits that are part of our flesh. We have th- we're have a three-part being. We have three different directions of thoughts, the mind of Christ, the memories that have senses attached to them, and the, the power of sin that tries to distract us from following God. And, and knowing those things, then you have a little bit of a preparedness to go at this thing called war, you know, spiritual warfare. Like, if you don't know those things that I've just expressed to you, I don't know how you process thoughts. Like, if you think you create all your thoughts, my heart goes out to you because I know the crazy thoughts that cross my brain. And, and if these are ideas that you don't understand, I'd encourage you to seek me out, seek Rusty out, and we'll help you kind of get grounded in these things because they're just critical in dealing with all the crazy things that cross each of our paths. So then uh, verse 7, he says, 
you are looking at things as they out as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again with within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. So, like, if you kind of take the ideas I just threw at you there, and then you start trying to look at life as things are outwardly, and you don't know that these habits that are stored in somebody's brain, these habits are going to affect the way that somebody responds to you. Does that make sense? My mom it was, a, was a great lady. We kept her in our house for a year. We walked her to the finish line. One of the habits my mom had in here was one of these. And I don't say that she had this big. She had faith. But this one happened to my mom apart from anything she had control of. My grandfather, one of his was he was an alcoholic. I don't know how that got in him. Probably from his grandfather or somebody back the tree. But what happened because of my grandfather to my mom is that the emotions of life were more than she could handle in a normal conversation. So it would take a very little stimulus before the next thing you know, mom's yelling and screaming. Make sense? So that was from this space. That's what I grew up with. Yelling and screaming, yelling and screaming, yelling and screaming. And so guess what? I had to figure out some kind of good way to cope with that. Right? But that's not faith. Coping with this, with this is not faith. So my coping mechanisms then became part of who Keith is. Make sense? Like I would literally go hide when mom would snap. Like when mom's, Rah! I'm hiding. That's because I'm kind of combative if I'm left to my own. And so I'd just get out of the way so I wouldn't become part of the problem. Well, that's the reality of this whole life. That You didn't know that about Keith probably. That, that's going around everywhere I go. This is part of who I am. But that doesn't have to be the way I respond to life. I can live by faith, right? And, and so whoever you're in communication with, they have a brain they're packing around, and the more you know them, you're going to kind of know more of that stuff. But if you don't know that, and all of a sudden they snap and something comes out at you, you're going to have, like, bites on your hands. <laughs> you're going to get angry at them. And you may divide those relationships over things that don't matter like that because you're, you're trying to look as it is outwardly rather than what's going on on the inside. And so in 2 Corinthians uh, 5, um, I think it's 16. Sorry, Todd, I didn't give you these verses. 16, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Remember I told you you get a new spirit and a soul the moment you trust Christ? So one day when mom's dementia was really bad, she's standing this close to me. She's screaming at the top of her lungs, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. I'm, I'm not making, this is a true story. So if I didn't know what I knew, I would have this memory right here, right, of my mom. I hate my mom because my mom hates me, right? But I knew that my mom was a new creation, so when mom was screaming at the top of her lungs, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I had to go to, I didn't, thankfully I had this stored up here because I didn't, wouldn't have had the wherewithal to do it, but um, that verse 17 says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The verse before it says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. So when mom is screaming, 
at the top of her lungs, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. I'm looking at my mom realizing, my mom does not hate me. My mom does not hate me. My mom does not hate me. She's new in Christ, right? And so what I had to do is I had to go, okay, mom, let's go to bed and we'll talk about this tomorrow. (laughs) That is how I handled that situation. I locked the kids' doors on the way to their bedroom (laughs) because I had no idea what was going on. But I was able to look at my mom beyond the moment. And so with all of us in the room here, I can't imagine what every week we bring into the room. Can you? Like, there's no way to know what's going on in here. But by the grace of God, ideally all of us are in Christ in here. We've got at least a blue marble of faith, if not something more than that. And the more that we can look at each other and those who are in our workplace, those who are in our sports place, those who are close to us, those who are distant to us, realizing that they got this whole thing, they pack around with them every day, and try to trust that Christ in you can love that person no matter what's going on in here. Because if you want this to change, and that's what you're waiting on, that's called conditional love. And uh, you think of any habit that you've wanted to change, has it got real small recently? Like, has it changed? Maybe it's a good habit. You think it's good, but you just realize, oh, that's not, I need it to be blue. It needs to be faith. And so habits are hard to change. And when you try to love somebody based on these habits, it's called conditional love. But when you realize that the love of God dwells in you and allows you to look past all this mess, it allows you to more often love people with agape love and to trust the Father to work through you to express God's love. Father, just teach us today what it means to walk by faith. Teach us to see you in a way that revolutionizes our ideas, that that we can see you as though you're creating fresh ideas of what love looks like. You're creating fresh ideas of what you might expect of us. You're creating fresh ideas of how we might walk through life, Lord. And so as we can look at things from the inward perspective rather than how they look outwardly, Maybe we can stay in that batter's box and take a curveball when it comes at our head, Lord. Maybe we can stand there when somebody's yelling at us and breathe in and trust that that's not them, but that's the flesh that's working out of them, Lord. Lord, today I just thank you for the opportunity to hang out with all of our friends here. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, uh, just be able to live by faith. It's a huge deal. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.